Hello, Herd. It's Mike. I've got a couple of things before the show again, so here goes. This is a reminder that it's your last couple of days to get tickets for GeeklyCon 2017 in St. Louis, Missouri, which starts on July 20th. Why am I telling you this? Well, the Geekly Inn community is awesome. You will make new friends that will last a lifetime, and so many of our guests and the Sacred Cows players call Geekly Inc. home. But more important than that, they've given us the opportunity to have a panel at their convention. The panel will be on July 21st at 11 a.m., so hurry up and get those tickets on geeklycon.com and join us. This is going to be a great 50-minute live show on bad movies that we love and why that's okay. Not only will it be Pete and I, but we'll also have Disembodied Voice Guy and a guest appearance for our main segment editor, Eli. And finally, it will also feature the following Sacred Cows players. Matthew M. Morris, M. Hiroshi Sutherland, Nika Howard, Veronica Brady, and Sam Brady. For today's episode, we're talking about Steven Spielberg Presents Animaniacs, and it features some of our Sacred Cows players. We've got Josh Gentry, Matthew Morris, and M. Hiroshi Sutherland. And just like the show we're talking about, quite a variety of sketches. Surprises wait inside! Enjoy! And remember, the show is uncensored, so even though we're talking about a kid's show, you know the drill. And so it begins! Hiroshi, Matthew, Josh, welcome. Come right on in, guys. Thanks for coming down. Oh, hey, yeah. guys. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, it's fun coming on the show. It's, wow, it's been a long time for me. What, years? Sounds like you could use a refresher on how we do things around here. You said that, strangely. Uh-oh, I think I know what Mike's planning. Oh, you think I am saying things strangely? Hmm? Hmm? Oh, what's happening? I think it's too late to stop it at this point. Just let it wash over you. Then I won't say another thing about the podcast. Instead, I'll sing about it. I am the very model of a podcast individual. I am information, Nerdist, Nightvale, Radio Lab, and Serial. I know my way around GarageBand and not to use a metaphor. Also, I'm a great editor, but that's what we got Eli for. Oh, hey guys, what's up? I love this song. My name is Mike and I can plan a podcast with proficiency. I arrange all the session schedules and guests with great efficiency. I've got connections all around the podcasting community. But now I'll turn it over to Pete before I cause disunity. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, sometimes he gets like this. Although I'm not going to lie, when he gets going, sometimes it just makes you want to join in. My name is Pete, I like to eat, and I do not know how to tweet. On Sacred Cows tonight, I like to produce jokes and follies. I make the sound effects by analogs mean very practically, like jumping up in piles of trash set up next to my Yeti. Uh, maybe we should go. Yeah, I, I, this is not at all what I signed up for. What in the actual hell is going on here? Hey, disembodied voice guy, why don't you just tell us what you do around here through song? Fuck that! You know I turn a blind eye around here when you guys do whatever awful merriment you're usually up to. But you know I draw the line at musical numbers. Oh, right. We're sorry. And yet, there's something appealing about this whole idea. I'm disembodied voice guy and shit's gonna get medieval. The things that make me happy is start unspeakably evil. It happens my main hobbies are all suffering related. Best is making sure these guys' egos don't get inflated. Well, if you can't beat him. 
My name is Hero and I am a sacred cow's player. I got my podcast traps elsewhere, let's get into that later. It's tough for me to lock down what I'd say is my identity, though I do love my old Sam, by that I'm a nation yeti. My love for podcasts run deep, I'll listen to almost anything, but quality's important to me, thus my love of editing. I realized just now that I am not very good at singing, so now I'll simply bow out and then tag my man and my hat in. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, me either. Indeed, in matters of recorded spoken words, that's digital. We are the very models of podcasting individuals. This is a highly dysfunctional group. Sacred Cows Tonight, with your hosts, Mike and Pete, featuring Disembodied Voice Guy, and guests, Matthew Morris, Josh Gentry, and M. Hiroshi Sutherland, featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight band. And now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Say, Disembodied Voice Guy... Who the hell is that? It is your psychiatrist, Dr. Otto von Strachensniff. But you know that very well. Psychiatrist? I don't need a psychiatrist. Ah, but I believe we have thoroughly refuted that theory in our many past sessions. Sessions? I haven't had any sessions with you. Patient is suffering from an acute short-term memory loss. I'm not suffering from anything, but you will be if you keep this up. Actu lieber, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had you mixed up with another invisible demon creature I'm seeing. Ah, well, I mean, well, who's that then? Ah, 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 doctor-patient confidentiality, you know. Your brother wouldn't appreciate me divulging the details. Oops! <laughs> Let's do lunch later this week. We'll talk. <laughs> I think not. Now, if you will excuse me, I need to get to Washington, D.C. I am permanently on call there. Welcome to Sacred Cows Tonight. The podcast where we talk about old things and uh, new with new people, maybe whatever. So <laughs> not so many new people today. Three. We've got some uh, longtime returning guests with us, uh, Mike. Isn't that right? Well, I wouldn't call them guests. I would call them three of our Sacred Cows players. Yeah, that's the truth. Notably featured in in, in several skits, uh, we've got uh, Matthew Morris. Oh, hey. Hiroshi. Hello. And Josh Gentry. What it do? Welcome, guys. Welcome to our disembodied Mike guy. (laughs) (laughs) Before we start talking about our topic today of Animaniacs, let's talk about you three. So uh, what would you like to promote here while you're on the show? Let's start with Josh, since it's been a, a notable absence for you. Hey, my name is Josh. Uh, You may or may not, but probably don't know me from the Cthulhu and Friends podcast, where I am a host and player, and I have a new project on the horizon that is a secret. Ooh. Secret secrets. He's got a secret. Secret secrets hurt someone. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be good. Well, We'll keep our eyes open for that one ears but yeah good let's go with a matthew next Uh, what would you like to promote here um i do a few things uh i'm on geekly inc random encounters where we play uh fifth edition dungeons and dragons i'm on shu podcast where uh we play fate and i also have some mysterious secret stuff in the works there's a theme oh shit i'm also highly illogical well hero tell us a secret 
Uh, well, I mean, not so secret. I am editor slash producer on Cthulhu and Friends podcast alongside Josh. And I am about to start working with a couple other people on another podcast, which was announced that, uh, what was it, back in November, I want to say, called Mythos. And that should be coming out hopefully in a couple of months. We want to get everything locked down before we go too far with it. And two out of three of you will be on our panel at GeeklyCon 2017 at 11 a.m. So talking about bad movies. I know you're not talking about me. 11 a.m. I can get up for 11 a.m. It's all good. Yeah. If it's just me and disembodied voice guy, I'm seriously just <laughs> you're out. You're out. It's a one and a half man show. <laughs> Let's talk about what we ostensibly came here to talk about. Uh, Animaniacs, the 1993 mm. premiering Warner Brothers Steven Spielberg produced TV show Animaniacs. 1993. Holy cow! We weren't man. talking about Tiny 93. Tunes. I watched the wrong thing, you guys. Well, good luck even finding Tiny Tunes, but it did look. It, it was weird and a strange experience watching the show without Tiny Toons, you know, ending in the background right before it, basically, mm. as I came home from school as a <laughs> latchkey kid. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was my experience always, anyway. I'm surprised to hear it was 1993. That seems so early. I, I remember the premiere episode coming out. Do you? I don't think I remember that. I'm not sure I remember the premiere episode, but I remember getting into it real early. Yeah, no. But yeah, 93 uh, does seem weird for that. Yeah. Does it sound even weird that it ended in 99? That is kind of surprising, honestly. That's even weirder, I don't think yeah. I was aware of the, the second run, which we may or may not talk about at some point. Yeah, so, I mean, this this show started at, on Fox Kids in 1993. Um, Fox Kids was all the rage. You know, you come home, you write, you watch Tiny Toons, and you get your, your Darkwing Duck would be on even earlier and, and stuff like that. Tasmania. Um, but then they oh, really... God. Tasmania. <laughs> But they ended up really hyping the Animaniacs coming out. I mean, WB just had a hold on on Fox Kids during that time. Well, when something says Steven Spielberg presents, I think, you know, you're supposed to stop and take notice. Yeah, seeing him get into the children's cartoon market was an interesting one. It felt like kind of this this glorious return to the Looney Tunes era of cartoons where there was this importance in, in family tie-in, even though it was in this after-school slot where no parents were home for any latchkey kids. Uh, it definitely felt more important than sitting down watching Gargoyles or uh, you know Power Rangers or anything like that for me when I was a kid. It, it kind of feels like it returned to the roots of the comedic animation from the early eras, though, because it did have a lot of that slapsticky humor to it and like you you mentioned, there's this the comedy, like if you were watching it as a kid, you got one thing out of it. And if you're watching it as an adult, you got something else completely different out of it. But mm-hmm. two very different kinds of humor that were blended together well. Like some shockingly dirty jokes <laughs> that I never noticed. Uh, I believe there was one about Prince uh, getting fingered. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember the setup for that, but I remember him. That was the same episode with like uh, all the Batman Returns people and all that stuff, right? Uh, I think it was a different one because they were they were doing like sleuthing, but it was yeah, fingerprints. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of the it all runs together. Episodes kind of blend. Yeah, that's the nature of sketch comedy, though, and that's what this ended up being more of was a sketch comedy a la the Looney Tunes or SNL or what have you, 
more than it was just this ongoing narrative for 30 minutes. No, and that, and that's why it was so great is that there's so many different kinds of ideas that came to place because of this. I mean, there was an episode that I remember, I didn't watch it for this particular one, where it was all about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And this was all from the point of view of, oh, of yeah. a candle flame that was basically mm-hmm. um, telling old Thomas Jefferson, who was writing it, you know, uh, kind of what to say and why it's important, you know? So it wasn't the Warners doing one of their inexplicable <laughs> time travel things to go and uh, uh, help Michelangelo paint the ceiling or something like that? Or help Beethoven write his fifth. Or uh, help Beethoven write the fifth. Or movie. Albert Einstein discover the theory of relativity by selling him Girl Scout cookies. Oh, yeah. Selling him Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> <laughs> one thing mm. that I always thought that was a really sort of interesting uh, direction that they took was sort of this concept that all these cartoons and all these things are like actually being filmed with cameras in Hollywood. And it has like a very kind of Hollywood sort of feel to it. Um, you know, I don't sure, know. Sure, They've got newsreels. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched an episode today where it was black and white. And of course all their noses were red. Yeah. That might've been a Schindler's list reference actually. Now that I'm thinking no, about no, it. No, 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 oh. no, no, It was not. <laughs> I hope not. Well, that's good. <laughs> but I thought about that, the red. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is Spielberg. Just no, so there, there was an episode where they were doing like a scoring of the episode was actually part of the joke. And basically it was like a, uh, the Warner Brothers were in a symphony orchestra um, messing with the people that were scoring their episode. So, you know, meta. Well, the scoring of the episodes That's was so extremely meta. important. That was one thing that Spielberg definitely wanted. He wanted at least one original piece of musical scoring in each and every episode. And... Finding that out now, I have such a huge appreciation for that because I can only imagine the cost associated with that. I feel like all of those old Warner Brothers, you know, Looney Tunes before it was called Looney Tunes or whatever, had a lot of original orchestral, you know, music Mm -hmm. that was all situational. And I imagine it would have had to have all been, uh, you know, commissioned for the specific scenes. And they've done that here, too. Well, uh, they also would uh, play some with, pop music there was a there's one episode that had uh they might be giants in the istanbul Mm -hmm. not constantinople Mm -hmm. like that's Mm -hmm. really you know kind of unique for something like that well that was actually tiny tunes um but but yes i do remember that cut that whole thing out (laughs) 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 was that i'm here nodding as like i absolutely remember that yep (laughs) i was just thinking you should go back and watch that episode that never happened (laughs) I was all no, excited. I, I love They Might Be Giants. They also did Particle Man, but that was also the same show. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the, this is sort of Why relevant. Go down I mean, the hole? That's the show, right? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's relevant. I feel like that um, Tiny Toons was kind of the start of, of get, getting these ideas, um, getting back to the old style of animation and stuff, because that was Steven Spielberg presents Tiny Toon Adventures. And so the whole concept of that was... Was it? Oh, man. Yep, yep. The whole concept of that was, like, going back to the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and, like, you know, reintroducing them for a new generation. It was like like Spielberg watched Star Trek The Next Generation and just said, hey, let's do that, but with cartoons, <laughs> you know? Right. Whereas this took some... Well, Tiny, Tiny Toons and Animaniacs kind of set the tone for WB culture in the 90s, as it were. So, yeah, they, they, they can be taken as a pair, you know, like an A-side and a B-side. Yeah, this was the next logical step where they were wholly original characters. 
I'm trying to remember, but there was at one point, I can't remember if it was the first episode or somewhere down the line, where they actually had this sequence where the Animaniacs and, well, the Warners went by the Tiny Toon Adventures crew and were shaking hands as if it was like, you're out, we're in. (laughs) I remember something changing the lines. It was quite fascinating. The uh, there was a Tiny Toons joke that popped up in Animaniacs at one point. Uh, there's a Tiny Toons episode where Hampton, the Hampton J. Pig, uh, got stripped down, and a bus comes by, and you hear like, "And to your left, a naked pig." And they use that in Animaniacs like much, much later. And to it was on the it was on the lot, and yeah, the bus comes by, and to your left, a naked pig. I remember that one. <laughs> and they also had the the baby uh, plucky duck character where it was just like he's flushing everything down the toilet remember that episode in tiny tunes he, they brought him mm, back yeah for... want to go down the hole yeah <laughs> sure and later Lots go up cross references for and sure there was an elvira down. episode or elmira whatever the heck her name was yeah. not elvira she was the sexy vampire elmira um, yeah, i think you're right there mm-hmm. i wouldn't be Which surprised yes, if elvira watch. did appear in animaniacs uh, to be honest i actually i expect it Let's talk about some of the uh, Animaniacs' um, different uh, recurring sketches because there was a, there was a lot of one-offs. Don't get me wrong; they had ninety-nine episodes. They had plenty of room to do things with. Um, but so so the main the main um, sketches that they recurring were obviously the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister. Um, you had uh, Pinky and the Brain, mm-hmm. uh, Buttons and Mindy. Oh, yeah, um, agreed. Yeah, I look. hated them. Yeah. I okay, hated me. them so okay, much lady, as a me kid. Love you. Um, <laughs> it like oh the, the hip hippos. Uh, yeah, uh, Katie Kaboom. Yep. Yeah. Good idea. Bad idea. Love. Good idea. Yes. Idea. That's Skull, how I live Skullhead my life. Skullhead bony hands. <laughs> so yeah, Skullhead bony hands. Uh, what else? Um, Rita. Well, there was, uh, uh, a wheel of morality. Wheel, wheel of morality. morality. Turn, yep. Chicken, uh, boo. Chicken boo. Chicken boo. Yeah. Chicken boo. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> good feathers. What about the squirrel? The Good feathers. Good feathers. Good feathers. Good feathers. Uh, there were How can so I forget many. those two? Why am I not? Um, Minerva and Mink. I had forgotten about this character yes. until oh, yeah. I started flipping through the episodes today. I'm like, Minerva, Mink. Oh, yeah, that's right. The one you wish is hypersexualized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rita and Runt, another one I wasn't a huge fan of. Uh, so here's fun fact. When I was going through and watching these episodes again, I get to one thing where... I see the the title of the sketch, and it's something about Stradivarius. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember an episode where Stradivarius was trying to get cats to harvest their organs <laughs> or strings. <laughs> so I remember oh. the nature of this sketch. Had no idea Bernadette Peters played Rita or that Rita was a character that existed and that there was a singing cat that was Broadway musical quality performance. How did I forget the main characters of the sketch, but remembered the actual subject? Because it's about know. killing cats, man, and that's interesting. That that sells. That sticks in your mind. Yeah, Brita was almost down with it at one <laughs> point. Like she was getting hypnotized by Stradivarius, something fierce. She's like, for the greater good, right? No, it was more she just he was seducing her with string and Gross. fish, gotcha. and then would throw a ball Typical that looked like tricks. a tomato to get runt away. And Run thought Rita was a dog. I don't know. Definitely, definitely, exactly. One of one of the things the show did really well. Now that you mentioned it, or now I'm thinking about it, is they did a lot of celebrity impersonations. 
So not only would they have like caricatures of the actual actors, either the actors themselves or playing a role, but then they would also do a lot of celebrity um, impersonations so that it was like – because it was like a lot of it took place on the Warner Brothers set. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, these are actors that you would actually see walking around. These are actors that character. would be there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Jerry Lewis, I know, was someone that they kept bringing back time and time again. Nice lady. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The the Yiddish clown, uh, he originally... Yeah, they didn't use his original, name for some uh, reason. They just called him Mr. Director. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The the first time yeah. I remembered seeing him, the Jerry Lewis clown, you know, the clown. But it turns out he's also this ridiculously, possibly offensive Yiddish uh, caricature. Uh, and that is one of the episodes I watched today because I remember thinking the clown was pretty dang funny. That was the interesting thing. It wasn't even just celebrity impersonations that really got me really interested in that show nowadays it like looking back at how this is tropes the tv tropes the animated series and all they're doing is taking everything turning it on his head you know slappy squirrel was mentioned before and there's you know let's make fun of the aged actor who is holding on to former glory while at the same time making it such a traditional looney tunes slapstick wily coyote almost feel in a sketch Um, you know, Buttons and Mindy, the troublemaker, the straight man and the wild card and how they interacted while still being very much so in that field. They really, all the writers came together to make the whole sketch feel, they really worked together to make the sketch feel kind of consistent throughout the show. Whether it worked on certain sketches or not, like I said, Buttons and Mindy, I could not stand. But uh, there were a lot, there was a consistent feel throughout the show between all those sketches. I think one thing that the show did incredibly well, and even if even if you go further back into the uh, the annals of Warner Brothers cartoons, they've always been like a mirror that like reflects the, the pop culture of the time just right into your face. It, it was so 90s. I mean, in the theme right song. Right in the theme have, song. Yeah, Bill Clinton playing the saxophone, man. I mean, come on. Kids are like, whatever, who's, you know. (laughs) But, yeah, it it was such a a great representation of the the pop culture of the the 90s. It was perfect. Yeah, a lot of the references definitely, um, I get them because I was around at the time. But, of course, they didn't age particularly well. Um, (laughs) It's very interesting how some of those sketches even came into play because it was essentially time filler for when they didn't have as long a sketch that they wanted in another part of the show. So, uh, Mike, you have mentioned the wheel of morality and then things like good idea, bad idea, mind time. Like some of the (laughs) sketches I remember the most were these essentially time fillers. Throwaways. It it kind of gave it almost like a variety show feel to it because you'd have these big Mm. pieces that were broken up by little tidbits of something. Did you guys, uh, this is something that I used to do. I used to go out of my way when I was a kid to watch Animaniacs. Like, I would bend reality. Like, okay, so uh, I couldn't, for whatever reason, go to my house after school. So I would go to my friend's house, and his mom would watch, you know, I would stay there, and then my mom would come pick me up. Well, if I rode the bus there, I would miss, like, the first five minutes of Animaniacs. So what I would do is fucking sprint. (laughs) Like the kid whose house I was going to would get on the bus and I'll be like, I'll see your ass there. And I would sprint. (laughs) 
to to his house, <laughs> bust on in and plop on the couch so that I could watch Animaniacs and like not miss a second of it. It's, See, it was I, important to me. I know what you're That's talking about, but that was element of the show. For me, it was news radio. Oddly enough, because Animaniacs, I was able to catch a bus and get home perfectly fine for. But in order to watch news radio, I had to get all my homework done, and then do dinner, and then all these other things. So I definitely know about that plotting just to enjoy that episode, that show that you love. So I know I mentioned that Buttons and Mitty was one of those sketches that I I really didn't like as a kid and still don't to this day. There are tons of sketches that I still love and really hold up well. So for you guys, are like what were the ones that stood out the most for you, top and bottom? I think Pinky and the Brain probably was my mm-hmm. is my favorite mm, anything yes. that they've been in. Probably I think Bubba Bo Bob Brain was one of my favorites. Yeah, because <laughs> it was I I hated that song the the real song you know so much during the actual time period, and then just Pinky and the Brain just sending up the whole stupid thing. Uh, was awesome. Pinky and the Brain totally did deserve the spinoff that they got on their own. I mean, they got four seasons out of that spinoff on their own. So, <laughs> Dang. Um, Which I never saw, but I was proud to see that they had. I think something that didn't really uh, hold up for me is Katie Kaboom, for sure. Just the whole idea that basically like your teenage girl is basically just a time bomb is kind of it's pretty sexist i mean it is and it really yeah. wasn't that funny plus it's one of those ones just like um buttons and mindy just like um rita oh, and no. run well maybe not rita and run but it, it plays out the exact same way every time you know it's like okay this could have been a one-off it didn't have to be a whole series per se all right so let's go uh let's go i've got an unpopular opinion oh Ooh, okay. I like those. Shoot. When I was a kid, um, at first, I really liked Pinky and the Brain, and it really quickly wore on me, and I'm not sure why. Maybe, I, I don't know, but uh, then watching it again recently, yeah, it really does not stand up for me. I am so meh about that whole thing. And then on the other hand, I did not like the Good Feathers at all when I was a kid. Because I thought it was stupid and kind of boring. Mm. And now I'm like, that's actually really, really funny. And I really dig it now. Once you finally watch Goodfellas, yeah, that right. skip becomes incredible. Yeah, you at, finally at 11 years now, old, yeah. you know, I had not had the pleasure of seeing Goodfellas. So. Yeah. Or what? Uh, you have to have seen Goodfellas, The Godfather, and Taxi, taxi Driver. driver. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's yeah. definitely yeah. one of those things where it was the premise was more for adults, but they were trying to pull it off for kids. And I thought it pulled off wonderfully uh, for mm-hmm. kids. I hadn't. Like, the Godfather was our last episode. That was like the first mob movie I'd ever seen. The God and, Pigeon. Uh, yeah, the God mm-hmm. Pigeon's there. I'm like, yeah. hey, that's really uh, awesome. So but, you know, so even so as a kid, so I thought, so you know, so Squid so was so funny. So and uh, Pesto <laughs> being like, do I amuse you with something? You know, that kind of Pasta thing. Pasta Fazool. <laughs> Everything was a food. <laughs> like, I think that's just women. The Genie Alfredo. Yeah, when you're, do, when you're doing a, a caricature of an Italian, when in doubt, say food. That's, that's why Mario is so popular. <laughs> so, Josh, Josh, with the unpopular opinion, although I think everybody here probably can appreciate good feathers. All right, Hero, you're next. Well, actually, let's go back to Matthew because we had Matthew first. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so, yeah, things that I, I didn't like, the hippos I could do without, uh, oh, yeah. Buttons and Mindy. I managed to watch all, all the episodes I watched uh, leading up to this. I managed not to hit one that had Rita and Runt in it, so I couldn't tell you what I feel about it now, but I remember as a kid I wasn't super keen on it. Um. 
stuff I enjoyed. Pinky and the Brain, I really liked. Um, especially Maurice LaMarche uh, as a voice mm. actor. But then, yeah, uh, I, yeah Goodfella, Good Feathers, I liked. And um, I uh, Minerva Mink was, I kind of feel the same way about that, the same about the way you feel about uh, Katie Kaboom, Mike, because uh, it's that hyper-sexualized, like, anthropomorphic character. It's, like, really Which weird got to toned see that. down. It got toned down? 100%. This, the network was really concerned with the overt sexuality of Minerva Mink the first time she appeared. So, so they had to So that's the one I down. saw. And there's still a okay, scene okay. where she's in the shower behind the curtain and you see the silhouette. And you're like, that's a little much. Something that I enjoyed going through this again that I probably hated as a kid was so many episodes. You, you talked earlier about the original scoring, but also just the songs and stuff. You know, I remember oh, the yeah. Nations of the World and the States and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Great Big Universe and stuff. But Multiplication. Yeah. <laughs> Does but anyone yeah. remember more than the first line of Countries of the World? United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Panama, Jamaica, Haiti Peru, Jamaica, Peru, Republic Dominican, Republic Dominican, Dominican Cuba, Cuba, Greenland, Greenland, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, 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 too bad a quarter of those countries don't exist anymore, so it's not useful. Otherwise, they, they actually updated those recently. They did? Oh, yeah, that's right. There's like a yeah. live show now. Yeah. Yep. What? Animaniacs Live touring the country uh, actually was in our neck of the woods. Today. Um, is it like Animaniacs Today. on Today. ice or some shit? Like, <laughs> I think it's going work? on right now in, in the Twin Cities. It's, yeah, it's, no, the, it's, three it's the voice actors of Yakko, Wacko, and actors. Dot doing uh, singing in Wait, front of... It? Uh, Wait. In front of an orchestra. Who did? Oh, that's yep. dope. Who did uh, mm-hmm. Dot again? Tress McNeil. Interesting fact, though, about the original or the main three cast: Rob Paulson is Yakko, Jess Arnell is Wacko, and Tress McNeil is Dot. If you combine the amount of credits they have listed on IMDb currently, between the three of them, they have one thousand one hundred and fifteen voice, er, not voice acting, but just acting credits. I always, Jeez. why wow. did Wacko sound like Ringo Starr? Like, I, I never understood. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, I, I understood it, like, as an adult. I was like, that's like Why did you like not Ringo like Starr. his voice? It's, it's, it's just, I it was think, supposed to be simple. It's so I random. think Jess himself had originally wanted him to be more John Lennon, and then when he got into the voice booth, I, I remember this from somewhere, uh, he got into the voice booth to do it, and he's just like, no, Ringo's a much more iconic voice and much more fun to play with. And there's more you can do with that than John Lennon. So he's just like, let's go with it. And it, it Are you works. saying that Ringo Starr sounds like a simple person? The chain of logic that it takes to get <laughs> that to that conclusion just blows my mind. Like I the know. things that have to pass through your head it is insane. And this is why, like, <laughs> honestly, those three are – they may not make the Mount Rushmore of voice actors as we know today. But I have such a deep respect for them, not only for the number of credits they have, but – or the creative way they go about these things. So Jess Harnell, like you said, is like, I want to do a John Lennon voice for this irreverent, zany, crazy little, I think, dog. I don't know. <laughs> but he's going to be this pop Which culture. Which they were originally supposed to be ducks. Yeah. <laughs> 
ducks. <laughs> that yeah. cannot be true. Yep. No, 100%. And, no, it's true. I'm glad it Man, didn't yeah, come to they, they changed it when they're like, oh, yeah, ducktails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so it, he just comes up with this idea and then gets into a voice booth and realizes this minor tweak makes the most iconic voice out of the three of them. I could kind of remember Dot's voice. I remember Yakko's voice a little bit, but Wacko was the one that I knew immediately going into it what to expect. Party emergency. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> Totally. I, you know, I I need that as a ringtone. I I think while while I would say that you're right that Wacko has the most like memorable voice, like the way that Yakko talked is probably more memorable for me. He wisecracks and kind of yeah. a Groucho marks a little bit of a very way. Hollywood, like he, old school Hollywood kind of thing. Like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he pulls from so many different places, and I think that's the thing is Wacko is consistently Ringo, Yakko with that consistent voice pulled from so many different sources and did it really, yeah, really was, well. He was like old school Hollywood. He was like game show mm-hmm. host. He was like, um, stand up comic, you know, it was mm-hmm. different. Was a, the front man. And then, yeah, you're right. Dot was, and when it comes yes, down to Dot it, was just cute in terms of that innuendos, nobody hit more than Yakko. Oh yeah. And I think Rob Paulson definitely does belong on the pantheon, probably mm-hmm. of great, uh, voice actors between that and how many different, in incarnations of Ninja Turtles has he played different Ninja Turtles he's been in pretty much every single run of anything TMNT stuff yeah even if he wasn't in the main four he's been a side character wait was he Leo in the in the original he was Donatello and then he was Don recently he was Leonardo I think yeah okay huh but he also so he does a podcast where he actually talks mm-hmm. a lot yes. with voice actors and the people behind the scenes who write animation, do the music, um, directors and stuff like that. Okay, so we've got a couple of you yet to go. So uh, we've got Hero and Pete yet to talk about their favorite and least favorite. So Hero, go for it. Give it to me, Hero. Um, okay, so I mean, my least favorite, as I said, was Buttons and Midi. I remember hating that as a kid, and I watched it recently. It just doesn't do anything for me because it's very one-note joke with a very obvious punchline from the word go. And uh, Mindy was just beyond annoying. It, it it felt easy for a show that was so, you know, like I said before, tropes the animated series. Let's twist it on its head and go. It just was a trope in and of itself. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Reed and Rump because I couldn't even remember those characters existed when I watched it again this go-around. Chicken Boo was, again, these were just sketches that didn't feel like they were trying as hard as the Warner sketches, Mm. per se. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, skits like, good idea, bad idea, I still love to this day, and mime time. And (laughs) I feel like part of that may have something to do with uh, uh, the fact that you have Tom Budette, the Motel 6 guy, who's also a regular on... Uh, the podcast Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR show. Oh, wow. Love that guy. Absolutely love it. And just the deadpan delivery of some of the stupidest jokes you will ever hear really informed the comedy that I love today. Uh, Pinky and the Brain was great. Um, I was a bit of a horndog child, so I guess I probably liked Minerva Mink when I was young. (laughs) But I, I feel like the show's kind of... 50 50 which 
when you think about a sketch comedy show, that's a really not bad at all. Yeah. That's a really good percentage. Better than SML, am I right, people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. SNL had half of a decade where it was incredible, and then the rest has been coasting. Well, they've had a little bit more um, relevance recently, but. <laughs> All right, so Pete, tell me. Yeah, no, I was happy to come back and watch Animaniacs. Uh, I'd say the big ones that I was really a fan of both then and now were the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister. I've always Mm -hmm. thought that they probably did the best of parodying, you know, current events, pop culture. Uh, (laughs) They had a few off-color ones that I watched this time around, like uh, parodying the royal family. Uh, Princess Di, apparently it was before Princess Di. Mm -hmm. uh, Had that little thing happen to her. Um, Uh, and I always liked them very much. Uh, Pinky and the Brain, of course, a close second. I thought Pinky was hilarious, I'm sure. Um, and Brain, of course, is dead. Anything is better in deadpan. I have to remember to speak only in deadpan from now on because my jokes are 90% terrible. Well, so. it's, uh, it's an Orson Welles voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. 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 L- L- Maurice uh, LaMarche. Maurice LaMarche. He just has that wonderful voice. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, I like to see him in other things like The Critic. And he was in... Um, Futurama. Uh, Futurama. He played three. Course, yeah. What? Who did he play in Futurama? He was. He was who? He was Morbo. He was Calgulon. Who else did he play? Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, he did. Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah, he plays yeah. Orson Welles at least once in every show that he's in, uh, for sure. But um, yeah, I like that one. Of course, Good Feathers. That was funny again this time around. You know, I, but this time that I was watching it, I was really just in for a trip down memory lane. That's what I came for. I didn't want to take any detours. So things that I knew that I didn't like before, that'd be Rita and Runt, that'd be Minerva Mink. Actually, I didn't remember Minerva Mink. What else? Uh, Buttons and Mindy, of course, suck. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did I did come back for Aunt Slappy, because I always loved Aunt Slappy and her wisecracking ways. Um, I don't know if she necessarily did it for me quite the way, you know, like maybe it was a little more muted, but at the same time, I appreciate her attitude. And I'm glad that there are scrolls like her out there. I think that uh, Skippy was, or Slappy, geez, Slappy was one of the ones that I didn't like when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I appreciate more. Mm-hmm. I think because I I kind of get that encapsulating a, a moment in time. For me, like I didn't get the whole bitter aged Hollywood actor, and mm. that is a lot of what she is. Like we recently watching i saw the skit where she was being honored Mm -hmm. by the cartoon awards for a lifetime achievement she's like lifetime i got more skill and talent in my pinky than these new cartoons do Mm -hmm. now that's comedy Mm. that's actually especially (laughs) true (laughs) these (laughs) days hey hey disembodied voice guy what what do you want to do tonight the same thing we do every night, disembodied voice bro. Try to take over the world. I thought that every night you'd try to think of ways to get back in Mike and Pete for keeping you in such a demeaning secondary role on the podcast. That's part of it. That's part of the overall master plan. You gotta start small. Uh, yeah, really small, I guess. But tonight I'm going all out. Tonight we take over the world. Uh, all right. N- n- narf, I guess. 
Disembodied voice guy and bro. Disembodied voice guy and bro. One's an ancient evil, the other's just some schmo. Despite their lofty schemes, they'll just stand up as memes. A couple zeros, disembodied voice guy and bro, 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 bro. That was not at all a flattering theme song. I happen to notice that. All right, so if we're going to do this taking over the world thing, what's, what's your plan? I was just getting around to that. Don't be so pushy. Come on, are we going to go all Bond villain and hold the world hostage with a laser satellite? Cause an ecological disaster that only cockroaches and demigods can survive? Or just wait for the humans to destroy each other and then reign supreme over an empty planet? What kind of half-baked ideas that you picked up at the Raspberry Awards are these? Why don't you leave the thinking to the brains of the operation, disembodied voice bro? Psh, you're not the only one with brains, you know. I'm a pretty smart guy, too. Yeah, you're the smartest guy around, when you're in an empty room. Oh, yeah? Well, you arrogant fuck bastard, you only think you're so great because life's been one big golden shower of many blessings for you. Meanwhile, it has ever only endeavored to shit upon me, so excuse goddamn me for trying to show my stuff. Just because the sun shines out of your invisible but no doubt still ugly ass, don't expect me to just bend over and wipe it. I get sunburned easily. So, if I'm not good enough to come up with it, are you going to tell me your plan to take over the world or not? You are a terrible, terrible lab assistant. (sighs) Well, I hadn't actually thought of a plan, but luckily, your long and very boring rant gave me plenty of time to think of one. So, if we take over SpaceX, we'd be in a pretty good position to get a laser up into orbit. Hey, that's my idea. Just like always, you're going to take credit for my brilliance and pretend that your idiot bro had nothing to do with it. Just because you had the most generic idea in the world doesn't make you some creative genius. It makes you a hack, regurgitating cliches. My hacky cliches are better than your finest eureka moments. A couple zeros to somebody who's dying, bro, 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 bro. Mom and Dad love me more. That is why you fail. Man, the whole time I'm watching this show, I'm just like, they get irreverent punchy in and out humor so well and there's oh, totally. so many shows that are like look at how random we are poopy butt fart fart <laughs> and i'm like man you aren't funny you need to yeah, stop i tried to watch the uh looney tunes reboot that came out uh like the second reboot that came out like a couple years ago and while i appreciate appreciate the the sharper animation because honestly animaniacs for me now is a little hard to watch it looks because fuzzy. it looks yeah, sure. so rough. And it's, you know, freaking 480i or whatever, you know, standard definition. We're also spoiled now. But, yeah, the it just wasn't the same. It didn't feel the same. I mean, you know. The cells jerk around <laughs> on the screen because it's not done by computer. The, the, the lip syncing is just a little off. <laughs> little just off. a micro of a second. It, I, I don't even think I don't even think it was animated in the U.S. I think this was one of the very first cartoons, well, that was animated overseas. But the, you could tell there was like an A team and a B team. You know, some of the cartoons were yes. like this is super duper sharp, and like some mm-hmm. of them were like, well, yeah, we got to get it done. You know, Katie mm-hmm. Kaboom looked like garbage. 
that, yeah. that Rita and Rump was one that blew me away the most because it felt so disjointed, not only because you had a Broadway performing actress singing this tune at the beginning and end of the episode, which alone was jarring for the nature of the show, but the animation didn't match it. So I felt like I'm watching this Disney cartoon at the beginning and end with this beautiful musical sequence, but the animation was at like half the frames, if that. No, there there was definitely definitely, a... definitely slapped together. <laughs> you guys. No. Well done, sir. I, I do. You do wonder. I mean, obviously, with the um, with the whole thing about it being like fully orchestrated cartoons and things like that, that um, they you know obviously put more money towards some episodes where they're like, this is this kid is gold. This one's gonna be you know. You could tell which episodes, like the Slappy Squirrel one, I think was one of them where uh, where she was being honored. It was one of them that was uh, you know very well done compared to some of the other ones where like you'll just see like Yakko is just, like off model and you know looks like Vegeta looked in that famous Dragon Ball Z uh, episode where he's just like all stretched out and, you know but i think i think i think that's kind of endemic of of it is no matter what you take away from it this was all hand drawn animation and uh you know most of the things yeah. that that were done now are none of that's really hand drawn it's it is computer you know assisted drawing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even just uh, with you consider, what was it, the princess and the frog, there was this whole glorious, we're going back to 2D animation. Oh, applause, applause, this is beautiful. And it's like, you know, times change, and that changes the way that we view media in general. You know, the technology changes, the way that we can view it, the way it's made, all of this. And taking that into consideration, yeah, it is hard to watch the Animaniacs now at times, but understanding where it comes from makes a huge difference. And knowing that it was part of your childhood and, you know, you enjoyed it in this format, in this presentation before, you know. The rose-colored glasses of nostalgia are definitely a strong force. So do do you think that this could be, not that they should or would but do you think this is a series that could get a reboot and live in modern cartoon age i find that highly unlikely honestly hmm. i mean, can, I mean, I mean conceptually speaking. well okay I, I think they could i, I think there there's easily. a chance that you know the effort may be made but i don't i don't think that it would come across the same because they did that with powerpuff girls and you know it's mm-hmm. not not anywhere near the same it's not bad it's not they, terrible. They, well, they really changed it. It's not like Monster of the Week anymore for that, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I almost think with this, in order for it to be successful, it'd have to be like a Netflix limited thing. Like, we're going to do 10 new episodes of Animaniacs, and we're not going to have any studio basically tell us what to do. Because that was part of the problem with the new Powerpuff Girls, is the studio was like, we got to get the new kids in and just like, forget it. Let's just make good mm. cartoons and do this for like 10 episodes or a movie. No, this this is what I was saying before. There are so many shows that I feel are trying to cr- capture the same irreverence and randomness that the Animaniacs held in, in a bunch of other cartoons from when we were younger. And maybe this is old man sitting on the porch shaking his cane at the youngins on his lawn, but they don't do it well. It's just look at how random we are, not Look at this story we're telling that happens to have some awesome random moments. I feel like so. Teen Titans Go does a pretty decent job, honestly. That is one of the modern cartoons that that uh, I think really, you know, 
kind of stands stands above the rest. That one and Gumball, okay. those are those two are kind of my jam. Mm. Uh, I think they sort of someday could could sit alongside Animaniacs, you know, in their own way. Because once again, they're very much you know pictures of pop culture and stuff. That for me is probably why I think like some of my favorite cartoons from the modern era are Venture Brothers and Archer which very much so have that pinky of the brain, let's capture a certain time and poke fun at the idiocy in there while still holding a reference for the source material. That's what I like, but, you know, there I tried watching an episode of Squidbillies, I tried watching an episode of 12-Ounce Mouse, tried watching an episode of You List It, I can't well, they don't do have it. H. John Benjamin or whatever his name is. <laughs> yes, H. John Benjamin. I listen to him in any role. He is my spirit animal. I love that man to no end. And I love the episode of Archer actors. where he is Bob Belcher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Working at Bob's Burgers. It's so, uh, the first time I saw that, it just blew the brain out of the back of my head. So Animaniacs, right? Well, no. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's rel- relevant. I mean, I, mean, I, I would. Extremely. Yeah, I would venture to say that those show creators were influenced by, you know, Animaniacs. I mean, that's where really um, yeah. these things are coming from. Obviously, um, and, and this is why Pinky and the Brain was at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, they, you know, they spun it off into an adult-centered, uh, you know, spinoff, you know, 7 p.m. at night, prime time. Was that um, the time slot it got? Well, were you yeah, guys well, aware of the um, part of why Fox got rid of Animaniacs? No. no. Tell us a story. Too expensive to keep them. I thought it was because Warner was the Brothers was like aspect for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but one of the reasons they ended up dropping it is because they felt that they morally, quote end quote, were not able to properly advertise the show on their kids' block program because, in terms of the market share that they were getting, it was leaning more towards adults than they ever wanted. It was part of their kids' program. Mm. It was supposed to be from, like, 8-year-olds to 13-year-olds. And meanwhile, you know, yeah, I was younger watching it, but you had 16-year-olds to 32-year-olds watching that show more regularly. (laughs) That was always the thing I had trouble picturing. Like, I was, you know, in middle school when I was watching this show. I just never thought that any adult would want to watch it. I mean, I showed it to my dad, and he was like, huh. Yeah, kind of cute, and then walked away. My mom was a school bus driver. Watching it on a different TV, and she she uh, would miss the um, cartoons that we'd watch when we come home. But she was like a, a lover of like old school Bugs Bunny and things like that, and she would VCR tape these episodes and watch them after they aired. My dad liked them too. Uh, he he was he sort of shared his love of old Warner Brother cartoons and stuff with me, and so the, it was kind of like you know. To him, it was cool. It was like out, you know, my generation's version of his stuff, and it still felt the same. Right. But then again, at the same time, you know, you got to realize that like Saturday morning cartoons, there were still an hour long Looney Tunes being aired, you know, at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm fairly positive. So it was still very much in the popular, you know, uh, in the zeitgeist, if you will. But even when it went over to Warner Brothers, it kind of had that feel where it was this syndicated show. So they ended up taking skits from the anima- the old Animaniacs episodes and incorporating them into other shows in the same way that they did Mind Time or Buttons and Mindy in Animaniacs. Yeah, they had the Looney Tooney big cartoony show, which had like segments of Animaniacs, yes. original hmm. Looney Tunes cartoons, um, 
stuff like that, which would be great, really weird because then you'd see like a skit uh, from the Looney Tunes that was happened to be like about like, I don't know, Hitler or something like that. And then, and then you'd see, you know, Bugs Bunny doing yeah. that. And then you'd see something about Bill Clinton in the next Animaniac sketch, which came after that. It was so strange. Yeah, only like 50 years apart. Right. But, but my point, my point with bringing that up is that, um, you know, these cartoons are that snapshot in time. So I get things now having went through, you know, history classes in, in high school and college and stuff about those Looney Tunes cartoons, what they were trying to say that I didn't get when I was like seven years old, like watching Bugs Bunny fight the gremlin, you know, so, so trying to, you know, get the bomb well, to go off I mean, in the airplane. You know? Let's talk about Daffy Duck's dream where he was in Germany. Yes, exactly. You know, pretty much all of my knowledge of what everyday life was like for Americans uh, during World War II, straight out of Looney Tunes, like with the, the air raid sirens and the, the air raid wardens yeah. and, mm-hmm. and all of that but stuff. That's They really captured that, that essence of everyday life, yeah. uh, r- rationing and air raids and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Buying war bonds. So yeah, this feels bonds. like yeah. Looney Tunes 2.0 to me, Animaniacs. That's kind of where, what I'm yeah. saying. Would you say then that, and this is, I think, part of what made that show so great for its time, possibly still to this day, because of that snapshot, it gives the children of that time an appreciation of what they're doing, but it also gives more to other people, so it gives you that chance to embrace your childhood once again. Or is this going, like, too highbrow for Animaniacs? It definitely, it no, definitely no, just brought me back to back then i was but when i was thinking about those things that were being parodied or talked about in the show i was thinking about them in a different light than i would have when i was oh yeah eight yeah definitely there was a perestroika joke i mean for god's sakes i i just was these jokes that i never (laughs) got (laughs) i was like what the hell there was you know when you find out what it means yes I remember the show feeling very, very smart when I was a kid um, because they made all these jokes and, you know, maybe you got like a quarter of them or if, you know, you want to flatter yourself, half of them. But looking at them now, you you see it through the lens of, you know, your own experience. But it also is like, man, they, they were maybe, you know, giving us a little too much credit. It's nice when they don't treat you like a bunch of dumb kids, but... At the same time, were they really making it for us? I have no idea. Mm. But um, but no, this was definitely a, a nostalgic trip down memory lane for sure. So that enhanced the viewing experience quite a lot for me. Uh, is there anything that we want to cover before uh, we go on to the decision, whether it's sacred or not? Do we want to mention any of the... Uh specific episodes we saw or can we kind of skip over that at this point Uh, if we are i'm gonna you guys keep going i'm gonna pull one up the the one i I talked about in our chat earlier one that was just non-stop references and oh yeah uh, yeah that was the first so the first half of the episode was a like a slappy yeah it was a slappy one and it was just like going through movie after movie after movie reference and the second half was picking apart fans who were getting on the old bulletin board systems and nitpicking yes! the episodes. And oh, it was, I forgot about it was that. perfect. And it was it was the please, please, please get a life foundation to try and help the nerds who were saying, oh, it's not a uh, pay or play contract, it's a pay for play contract. So your theme song's wrong. <laughs> uh. 
Oh my god, I love Those that. Those people should please, please, please get a life. <laughs> uh, yeah. I watched the pilot uh, and, and the second episode, which sort of are like the pilots of most of the, the main skits. Um, and yeah, you get Otto von Scratch and Sniff and the Warner Brothers and kind of their relationship, and, as well as like Ralph the Guard. Um, I didn't realize that Yakko's World was episode two, for God's sakes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the really iconic stuff was very early. Well, they wanted that educational approach that a lot of cartoons at the time had. You know, Spielberg wanted to fall back on that before it kind of fell to the wayside. And and they kept it up the whole, even in the spinoffs in Pinky and the Brain, there was an episode called, or a yeah. s- sketch called Brainstem, where he just goes through the parts of the brain, and at the end he's like, that ought to keep the little squirts happy, and then, you know, or whatever. But Keep the uh, education sensors happy. That's yeah, what right. it was, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then I watched the very last episode, which was a mistake, just because the last episode was, a, it had like a, a funny little skit, but then it was just like, this is retrospective, and like, oh, it's kind of like the oh. send off. Yeah, I just wanted to see how it ended. If they actually did anything with the you know the Warners getting locked ended in the tower storyline, you know. Mm-hmm. But are you saying episode sixty nine or ninety nine? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Yep. Yep. I watched. Uh, I had actually watched episode one and two uh, recently because it only hit Netflix in the past four months or so, something like that. It was pretty recently. And I was it like, comes oh and my... goes. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, you guys. And I gathered all the family around it, and nobody appreciated it. But uh, yeah, we watched episode <laughs> one and two, and then this time around, I kind of cherry-picked through. And the last one that I ended with was uh, really sealed my, my dislike for Pinky and the Brain, and it was uh, kind of like their version of the uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice from mm. Fantasia. Sure. So there was oh. no dialogue. Oh, okay. And I was like... Uh, like I felt like you know how my eleven-year-old self would have felt during that was just like fuck, come on, uh, move on. <laughs> Nary a nerf to be heard. Not a damn one. I wa- I really wanted to 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 have the Orson Welles you know experience, but no, I was I was not happy. Hmm. But everything no, else they're was better good. when they're talking. The the Mindy and buttons that I saw was like uh. Wizard of Oz or whatever. Oh, so it was really put upon, and it actually wasn't too bad. But that might have changed my opinion if they had handled that well. Buttons and Mindy were always like a bunch of different things. Like there was one where they were mermaids. There was one mm. where they were, you know, in the Stone Age. You know, I mean, the the settings were never boring. No, just the story. The the two and the action went on a goddamn construction site for one of them chasing a cat that looked like a skunk. So I thought there was going to be a skunk goof, but there never was. I love Baby's that, Day that Out. That was boring. Did that have a Pepe Le Pew like appearance? No. Oh, because there's one no. episode that's a buttons and minions. Hugely missed opportunity. Pew, like, cameo. <laughs> but, that cat looked deadpan perfect to the cat that Pepe Le Pew chases, <laughs> and no reference to it. In in terms of episodes I watched, I'm just going to very briefly reference the overriding things for two of the episodes I saw. One, they focused almost entirely on old Russia. So Pinky and the Brain were trying to steal the Tsar's jewels. Mm. And um, there was some fun goose in that. Uh, They had the Animaniacs trying to be dentists to Rasputin, who was abusing his power (laughs) over the Tsar. And one of my favorite jokes 
from the entire series, especially looking at it historically, was, uh, you know, Yakko goes over and pokes Rasputin in the cheek and it's just like, oh, yeah, no, that looks a little tender. I think we're going to need to give you a little Anastasia. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see this tiny girl and she smacks him in the face with a hammer. And then it cuts to Dot. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch for a goof. Ask your parents about that. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, that so good. And I did ask my dad, and then we had a history lesson. So, And then, like, three, four years later, Anastasia by Warner Brothers comes out as an animated movie. Uh, the, the other episode that I wanted to bring up was episode 16, which um, had a great innuendo where they introduced the teacher for the Warners. And at one point, she walks up to Wacko and says, all right. Yakko, it's time for English. Can you conjugate? <laughs> what, who, me? I've never even kissed a girl. <laughs> no, 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 Good night, no, everybody. no. I'll conjugate <laughs> with you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. But that, uh, that also had Slappy the Squirrel in it in the episode, or the skit I mentioned before about the uh, getting the award, which was fun. The thing that caught me the most off guard on that was you had a character by the name of Beanie, the mentally challenged Bison. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Which, oh, no. <laughs> if you can look at the faces on everyone right now, they're either covering their mouth or going, oh, yeah. That's bad. It's this is a yeah. little sensitive. But the part of that episode that stood out for me the most, and I still remember to this day without having seen it, was the great Wackerati, yes. the belching music. Ah, yeah. yes, 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 yes. This Drink is the future the liberals want. <laughs> so yeah, even though Jess Harnell was the voice of Wacko, you had Maurice LaMarche doing all the belches. So Jess Harnell to this day still gets people asking, how was it performing those belches? And he's like, ah, about that. why are you asking about the <laughs> one Wacko know. skit I didn't do? Yeah, if you have, if you did listen to the Rob Paulson podcast, um, there's an interview with um, Maurice LaMarche talking all about that. And they basically, he just does it on the... <laughs> On air, it's great. Because <laughs> he's uh, not actually belching; he's just making it. No, he knows how to make this noise with his mouth. Talent. I mean, so yeah. it sounds like it, you know. <laughs> Who's left? Uh, Mike did. Matt, Matt, uh, you, Matthew. Yes, the episode that I had talked about that Pete forgot about was uh, season or volume two, episode eight. Yeah, I watched about uh, between ten and twelve episodes, and Holy uh, shit. The one, the one that really stood out for me, yeah, Volume Two, Episode Eight, a Hard Days Warner. Um, it was the first part was a um, Hard Days Night parody. Then it was Slappy Squirrel, essentially getting stuck in being, uh, you're getting caught in a bunch of movies with action stars. And then the third part was where they had the Please, Please, Please Get a Life Foundation, where the Warners addressed obsessed fans. It's it's funny that like now the internet just eats everything like the you know it's just a part of our culture now so you'll find internet references like everywhere back then mm. that was kind of a really niche thing you know because yeah. the internet wasn't is nearly what oh, yeah. Tr- trust me the people who they portrayed as their fans were very stereotypical for the age. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch there that now. Thank you Matt Matthew. I I'll just go through a couple of my episodes here. Drive Insane was one that I knew I had to watch because it felt like every, you know, time you turned on the TV, like once a week, they were playing Drive Insane, the one where Scratch and Sniff takes the <clears throat> uh, full-figured German lady to the 
drive-in oh. theater gets rejected all over the place, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Stay on your side. Yes. Yeah, right. Uh, that one, I saw the Aliens one, and Aliens were big business in the 90s. Um, Was that the one with the great toe? The Great Toe, yeah. The Great Toe and also Pinky and the Brain did the War of the Worlds uh, yeah. radio spoof uh, with lots of George Lucas-style clock wipes, I noticed, uh, like in basically every scene. <laughs> uh, don't know if that was normal. Uh, oh, oh, I knew I had to watch Clown and Out with the Jerry Lewis clown, or should I say the racist Yiddish clown? It was a little <laughs> a little disturbing. Oh, nice and chubby baby! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I laughed. I, I cracked up. It was hilarious. It was inappropriate. It was hilarious. Jesus That's Christ! I know the I know the words to that song. That's <laughs> going yeah, through my head. Yeah, whippoorwill, whippers in the wind. Yeah, I know, right? All those songs were so iconic, you know. But but I couldn't bring myself to watch the country song or anything like that. So, yeah. All right, the verdict. Let's let's go with that. So, uh, Pete, do you want to explain our patented uh, verdict rating system? So. The, okay, reaction from you guys was obviously very mixed, uh, so we're going to find out the mystery of whether this show for us is sacred or bovinus sanctorum, or is it not sacred bovinus excommunicado. So why don't we ask our fine guests what they thought of this show, Animaniacs. Let's go with uh, Josh first, since he murdered. what do you think man it's it's i hated it no not really i think it should be in a fucking museum it's so good (laughs) of course it's sacred duh all right let's go down the line hero i really battled with this really really battled i felt like a show that is 50 percent fantastic and 50 percent trite it's really hard to give a sacred status because, like I said, I, watching to this day, I think Slappy Squirrel, while fine as a kid, is is really not that great holding up nowadays. I felt like, you know, Buttons and Mindy, there is no context where that's actually genuinely funny. Uh, but everything with the Warners was great. Pinky in the brain, off and on, all the other sketches, you know. So, can I give something that is 50% incredible a sacred rating? And I think I have to go with yes, because, like we said before, look at SNL, look at Mad TV, look at Looney Tunes. Anything that is sketch comedy related, you have to make some allowances for, and taking that into consideration and also the time it came from that show did so many things so, so well. So I got to go sacred. Matthew, what do you think? So there's a, uh, there's an episode of South park where, uh, Cartman goes to juvie and the big kid on the block, so to speak, asks him a question. Cause there's two kinds of kids out there. Those who like animaniacs and those who don't like it. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I'll say that I find this sacred, but I can totally understand. I can understand why some people wouldn't like it because of the type of humor it is. And certainly if you didn't like it now as a kid, that's why I I was asking Josh about, uh, getting his kids to watch it is because I don't feel like it is timeless, but 
Mm. Having grown up watching it, going back to it now, there's a huge amount of nostalgia factor, and there's a lot of references that, like, if I wasn't around for them, I wouldn't get them, or they would have just gone right past me. So, for me, it's sacred, but I can totally understand why it wouldn't be for other people. All right, Pete, you're next. Yeah, okay. Um, As I'm going through this in my mind, I understand the points of why... You know, it's not timeless in the way that all of these references definitely exist in a place in time. Unfortunately, that place in time, for me, it is almost impossible for me to separate it from my nostalgia. I tried uh, today, Mm. but I I don't know how much of my thoughts about this show from today's viewing are reliable or not, because I'm, I'm nostalgic human being so um i'm definitely going to give it a shot with the next generation i will watch this with my kid and i really enjoy being pedantic so if he doesn't get something and that's going to be a lot of it i will just sit there and explain it to him because <laughs> explaining a joke always makes it funnier right well, son, it <laughs> was know. 1997 yeah right <laughs> you don't understand the perestroika joke kid well there's no reason to know that uh i'm gonna call it sacred because i enjoyed it i would foresee enjoying it for the rest of my life having lived through that time period but again you know maybe not universally so how about that personally sacred personally sacred mike mike there's a lot to lot to kind of sum up and amalgamate there uh, what are your thoughts on this show i'm saying sacred i mean it's it's not a question but i'm going unqualified i think on this one and and I guess I'm qualifying this unqualified, but um, I want to go the opposite of what Pete said because I think this does um, stand the test of time, or as Josh said, does belong in a museum because um, just like the Looney Tunes of old, there are tons of references Mm -hmm. that you don't get outside of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing about that time period. But just like the Looney Tunes of old, I think, you know, as you grow up, as you understand more, you get it more. And, you know, what our kids will learn will be some of the history that, that we lived through. I mean, they're going to they, they are probably learning about the end of the Cold War and the Soviet Union's collapse and, and things like that when they're making jokes about like, you know, perestroika and stuff like that. A high schooler who might be interested in this show because they saw it, you know, when they were seven eight nine years old um because their dad liked it you know is the same as us seeing something uh with bugs bunny or daffy duck or you know talking about world war ii or you know vietnam or or something like that so i think it kind of does go into that timeless thing minus of course the fact that it's on 480i non-hd hard to watch whereas the old bugs (laughs) the old bugs bunny cartoons are you know they were on film because they were shown in theaters in the first place so they were cleaned up that you know they can be redone in hd very easily whereas animaniacs that actually might be hard to keep in the future because of the the way that they changed the technique of how film was made at that point and now i'm getting boring but (laughs) so sacred yes uh you know Film is awesome, kids. Uh, Otherwise, whatever. (laughs) So with that, Animaniacs is... Bovinus Sanctorum. You gosh darn right it is. Now that we're at the end of the show, uh, 
our, our guests, what do you want to promote, you know, at the end, just to talk about where people can find you and, and uh, where they can hear you on next? Start with Josh. I am on the continuing saga of Cthulhu and Friends. You can uh, find that at geeklyinc.com. And uh, check me out on Twitter at It's Probably Josh. And my show is at CAF Podcast. Hey. All right. Hiroshi, same stuff for you. I am also a part of at CAF Podcast. I am editor, producer, and general. Uh, Sexy man. Josh, you can back, back this up, slave driver. <laughs> I work these guys real hard to try and make it sound as good as possible. Uh, but you can look me up at maybe Hiroshi. All right, and Matthew. I don't. I don't really have a lot of other Twitter handles to give. But if you if you go on the the iTunes, you can find Geekly Inc. Random Encounters. You can go and look for SHU podcast. You can go and look for Sacred Cows podcast. And you can look for sorry, sorry, Sacred Cows tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ, we're right? Get George will come George. after us, Matthew. <laughs> and and for whatever reason, if you would like to uh, go on my SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud Matthew Morris, and um, listen to my show, Better Know a Geekly, where I interview uh, random people from the community, you can do that as well. Do it. Do it. And if you want to find it's me it. on Twitter, I am uh, at Matthew M Morris. Uh, Pete, still no Twitter? You know, can I really get Twitter at this point? I think not. But I am going to be setting up my old electronic bulletin board so you can uh, <laughs> dial into my computer and complain about me there. I'll bitch about you on Usenet. I'll give you my number with the oh. area code as soon as that's set up. <laughs> so do you have an IRC handle we can check out? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's private. You can find his wife on Twitter at DirtyMM86. Oh, yeah, she'll be glad to horribly skew any responses I might have for your questions, so <laughs> keep that one in mind. <laughs> All right, well, you can find us on Twitter, at SacredCowsPod. Uh, we'll be glad to take your responses and uh, also mangle them to Pete. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, at WhiteMorph. Uh, you can also send us an email if you have a longer-form question or an episode suggestion. If you notice, this is the first non-movie that we've ever done, so... We're willing to uh, bite the bullet and talk about some more things uh, that are not necessarily movies, but uh, obviously we'll keep on movies as well. But that's yeah. Sacred Cows at HeroOfTheWeb.com, or if you want to be funny, you know, Sacred Cows at HeRoofTheWeb.com. Either way, it works the same way. With that, um, uh, our next episode, probably, uh, we're working on finalizing details, should be talking about the... Uh, early 90s Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie featuring our guest Mike Bachman. So uh, we're working out final details on that. That should be the May episode. So, yeah. Yeah, we want to thank all of our wonderful guests. That was a super fun episode. Oh, thank, thank you, you guys for having, Thanks for having me. It was a blast. All right, we out. Good night, everybody. Sacred Cows Tonight is a production of Sacred Cows Tonight. Executive Producers, Mike Yu and Pete B. All sketches in this episode were written, edited, and produced by Pete and starred Mike and Pete. The sketch podcast individual featured M. Hiroshi Sutherland, Josh Gentry, and Matthew Morris. The sketch World Domination featured Josh Gentry with background vocals provided by M. Hiroshi Sutherland. Main portions are edited by Eli Ramsey. Want to contribute your sketch to Sacred Cows tonight? Email us your script or proposal to sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. 